summer and to start our regular uh, Bible class again. I trust that we all had a spiritual and physical refreshing time this summer. We had one and we are so thankful to the Lord for, uh, for it and the most wonderful time we spent was not in Germany but at Word of Life that week where we heard Daniel Strauss for a whole week expounding on uh, Daniel, the book of Daniel, which was a great blessing to us. It was just wonderful. But uh, even greater, though, it is good to be back and to be here together. It is a rare thing in this time and in this world to find a real living church. I tell you this. My church home in Germany was once very much alive for the Lord where we used to go out every weekend and preach Christ in the streets. Not there anymore. They are all dead now in formalism. And I had the privilege to speak there several times. And I was just bringing the simple gospel message. And people got so thrilled that they called an evening service, which they didn't have for years there. So I'm thankful that the Lord has blessed us, but it is so great to be back. And it is our prayer that the Lord may keep us and may we stay that way we are, but more so may we grow in the Lord together. Our theme for this morning is the doctrine of salvation. And our text is found in Ephesians the first chapter, and I would suggest that we read together Ephesians first chapter from 1 to 14. So may we read together Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the saints which are at Ephesus and to the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father, Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he has made us accepted in the beloved, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, wherein he has abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he has purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him, 
in whom also we have obtained inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will, that we should be to the praise of his glory, who first trusted in Christ, in whom he also trusted, after that he heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that he believed, he was sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. What a wonderful portion. Let us pray, our dear Heavenly Father, and now we commit this service unto thee. Seal thy word to our hearts and be among us in the power and strength of the Holy Spirit. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Salvation is the great and central theme of the Word of God. The only reason why the Holy Spirit wrote this book is because of God's plan of salvation to man. Salvation is God's dealing with man. It is God's plan to re-establish this relationship between God and man which was broken off by sin on man's side. Salvation is God's love revealed in Jesus Christ, our Lord, towards us. For all those who have salvation, all those who are born again, for them is the doctrine of salvation a simple, clear and wonderful truth. But there is much confusion among so-called Christians in this world concerning salvation. Many Christian groups don't even have this word in their vocabulary. You won't find it. You won't hear any one of their ministers preaching salvation. They reject the very thought that we are sinners. And because they reject that there is sin, they have no need and they don't see any need for salvation. Salvation is God's simple plan to bring us back into a living relationship with himself. When we say we are saved, we mean with the Bible that we are saved, as the Bible puts it, from eternal condemnation, saved from eternal judgment, we are saved from eternal separation from God. And this salvation has been brought about in the person of Jesus Christ, our Lord, on Calvary's cross. You know, this sounds very simple and very familiar to you, but it is very, very important that we see this, that salvation, that salvation is in a person, and this person is the Lord Jesus Christ. 
There was a time in my life I believed with all my heart the teaching of my church I belonged to. And this teaching was that the church I belonged to was the only saving church. That salvation could be found only within that church. And what a revelation was it to me when one day I discovered and the Lord revealed it to me that salvation is in a person and this person is the Lord Jesus Christ who said, I am the way, the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father but by me. Then let me say that salvation in itself is not yet final. Salvation in itself is not yet complete. Salvation is God's plan from before the foundation of the world. This is so clear in our text. Let's look at verse 4, where it says, According as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, even before the world came into existence, God had this plan of salvation ready. We may talk about the foreknowledge of God, the sovereignty of God, and this is right and true, and it is so wonderful to see that, that salvation was conceived in the God's heart long before the foundation of the world. And, from, uh, and this salvation is not complete yet. If it would be complete, I wouldn't have this terrible cold this morning. I'm fighting this for over a week. You wouldn't have to wear your glasses. You wouldn't have so much trouble to get to church on your walking sticks. Salvation is not yet complete. It is only then complete when we have reached the final state of the believer, when we are transformed into the very image of the Son of God, which is still future. Let's look at verse 5, where it says, Having predestinated us, that is the believer, we will talk about this later, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself. And let me say that this predestination unto the adoption of children is something which is still future. This might be quite new to you, but it is still future and we will prove it to you later. This salvation is not complete yet. It is only then complete when the word of God is fulfilled in Revelation 21, 3, 4. Let me read it to you. Behold, the tabernacle of God is with man, and he will dwell with him and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them, and be their God, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and they shall be, shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. So we have this great and wide range over the history of man 
from even before the foundation of the world until we have reached this final state of the believer in Jesus Christ, which is still future. But let me go back to the first. Uh, no, first of all, let me give you a lesson outline. I wanted to put it on the screen, but I felt so bad the whole week. I just didn't make it. But if you have something to write, uh, put it down. It might help you very much. First of all, salvation is provided. Salvation is provided. It is provided, A, by election. Put it on the side, next to salvation provided. And then, B, it is provided by Christ's sacrifice on Calvary's cross. As it is said in verse 7, in whom we have redemption through his blood. So salvation is provided, A, by election, and put verse 6 there, secondly, and B, by Christ's sacrifice. Secondly, salvation is procured. It is available it is obtainable. It is not only provided, but secondly, salvation is procured. A. By realizing the facts, according to verse 13, that we realize that we are sinners, that we heard the gospel, and then B. By exercising faith, as it says in verse 13, that we have trusted in him, in whom he also trusted, when, after that he heard the word of your salvation, hearing first and then reacting and exercising faith and trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. So salvation is procured, A, by realizing the facts, B, by exercising faith. Thirdly, salvation is secured and salvation is protected. This is one package, inseparable. Salvation is secured, it is protected. A, by the sealing of the Holy Spirit in verse 13. He put his seal on us and it cannot be broken. We will talk about this later. Then B, by the source of our salvation, namely by God himself, according to verse 5. Having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ, to whom? To himself. He is the source of our salvation. But let me go back to the first statement I made, that salvation is provided. It is very important that we understand this, otherwise we won't have salvation. We have to understand it and we have to accept that fact that salvation is provided that there is nothing we can do 
to gain or to earn or to dissolve salvation. This is very, very important to take this fact into account. There was a time I didn't believe this. I believe with all my heart that it is by works that men can get saved. And even as a little child, I thought to myself, if there is a truth, that there is God, and there is eternity, then I would rather deny myself and live a, a, my whole life behind the walls of a monastery to get prepared for heaven, to make it. These were my thoughts. So it is very important that we see it, that we can't do anything about this salvation except that we react and exercise faith. The Bible makes a tremendous statement in Romans 3.23, All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. This is a tremendous statement. I never forget it when this for the first time came to my mind when I saw it in the Bible written. And it hit me like a lightning bolt. I had no difficulty to understand this for myself, for at that time I lived in a very miserable, sinful life. I had no difficulty to understand that I was a sinner and that I never could enter in this state into the presence of God. I had no difficulty whatsoever. But I had a lot of people to which I looked up to. And I remember especially one which I admired, which I read his writings, I heard his music, Albert Schweitzer. And I couldn't get away from this thought, and I thought, this at least must be a man who is good in God's sight, and who is righteous. And I couldn't get over it for days. All have sinned. Later it became a proof to me that this really must be the word of God. No philosopher of this world, no thinker could ever make such a statement. All have sinned. It was a proof to me that this must be the authority of God. The sovereignty of God, which made such a statement, all have sinned. Only the one who is holy, who is complete, could make such a statement. All have sinned. And this is recognizing the facts, and this is very, very important, and this is the first step towards salvation, that we see that we are in sin and that we are dead in sin. This is the first step which we have to go. Did it ever occur to you that all those Christian groups which deny that fact that we are sinners, that there is sin, that those people have no salvation whatsoever, did you ever think about that? Christian science, 
They have no salvation. Unity, they have no salvation whatsoever. They don't have this word in their vocabulary. You won't find it, you won't hear it, because they don't believe in sin. There's no need for salvation. And they throw the whole thing out of the window. There are other groups too. So salvation has been provided by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, in whom we have redemption through his blood. Verse 11, uh, verse 7. The cross of Calvary and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ is the greatest historical event of history of the history of man. As soon as we have the fall, as soon as Adam and Eve by sin were cut off from the fellowship of God, as soon then God already promised a savior and he promised a deliverer. And as we read on in the history of man as it is recorded, in the word of God, we see that the predictions concerning the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Deliverer, become more and more distinct, more and more clearly, that anyone who really digs into the word of God must come to that conclusion that Jesus is the Christ. There's no other way. There's no other possibility. And we have not the time to go into this. But it is like the rising of the sun in the east. At night when you are looking eastward, of a sudden you might get some idea where the sun is going to rise about. And then you are sure it must be there. That is the spot where the sun will get, get come up. And then all of a sudden the sun is coming and nothing is hid was light. That is how it is with the predictions concerning the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And all the history of man was looking forward to that event. And now we are looking back and praising God for all eternity for what he has done. This is the greatest event in the history of man. Let me come to the second statement, <clears throat> salvation procured. What does it mean procured? It is not only provided salvation is procured. It is obtainable. Salvation is available. And procured means to get possession of something. Salvation is only limited to those who believe. To those who put their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. There are Christian groups, they believe and they teach that automatically all people are saved 
and finally and somewhere in the future of eternity everyone will get saved that is not so these people never would like to sit in our congregation to hear the word of God they wouldn't be happy in our fellowship how could they be ever happy in heaven in fellowship with the Father with the Son and the Holy Ghost and with us the Church of Jesus Christ it is limited salvation only to those who take it by faith John 1.12 as many as received him to them gave his power the privilege to become the sons of God the apostle cries out in power and strength of the Holy Spirit in Acts 2.21 whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved Salvation is God's great gift, the gift of eternal life, but is conditioned to those only which believe. The mere fact that Jesus died on Calvary's cross doesn't save us. It cannot save us. We have to say yes to this salvation. We have to receive it. I never forget, I have to tell you this story, just after the war, the Americans came into the village where we were, most of the people were left, but a few families were there, the fields destroyed, no food, and we were just cast upon the mercies of the Americans, and they made provision for us, as civilians we could come in the morning to a certain place of the village and they would give us some food for the day and we were very happy and we were very thankful to receive the food and in our main street there was an old lady and she had several sons she was, they were all serving in the SS and she was a hundred percent Nazi and we talked to her and we said come there is food and she said I never will take anything from our enemies well we left her alone and you know and all this mixed up we forgot about her and I think it was about two three weeks later that we were standing together some civilians and he said what about Mrs. Winton? We didn't see her. Winter was her name. Uh, we didn't see her. So we went. Want to see her? Maybe she is sick. And the door was locked. And we broke into. And she was dead. The mere fact that there was food obtainable for everyone who would come would not save her. And her hindrance was pride. And so is it with salvation. The mere fact that Jesus died on Calvary's cross doesn't save us. 
There must be a time in your life where you grab that truth. Where you cried out to the Lord, save me, take me, come into my heart. Let's come, the time is going on. Let's come to the third statement. <coughs> Namely, our <coughs> salvation is protected. Our salvation is secure. Let's look into verse 13. In whom he also trusted, after that he heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that he believed, he was sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. The Holy Spirit put his seal upon us. This is very wonderful to see. What does this mean to us? It simply means that we are God's possession. He puts his seal upon us. And this seal cannot be broken by no one in this world. It can't even be broken by sin. It cannot be broken by your works, by your walk, by your behavior. We are sealed in the Holy Spirit. Let me say that we must have this assurance of salvation. Romans 8, 16 says, The Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. You must have this assurance. In the Catholic Church, I didn't have it. No one would dare to claim there that he has eternal life and salvation. Not even the Pope can do it. And once, a little, some time ago, he was asked by a Christian, someone who knew to be born again. He said, do you know that you go to heaven? And he said he has that hope somewhere in the distant future after probably many years suffering in purgatory that finally he might make it. That's what the Pope said. No assurance. Why? The moment you trust in your works to gain salvation, you have no assurance. You can't have it if you are honest with yourself. Our faith rests upon the word of God. I learn to put my finger on John 6:47 when I was first saved and so happy in the Lord. And Satan came and bothering me and saying, do you really believe? Do you think you can trust? Do you think it is secure the salvation? And I put my finger on John 6:47. Verily, verily, I say unto you, whosoever believes in me 
has eternal life. Has it now, not in the distant future. He has it now. And I thank Lord, you cannot lie. Salvation is secure. And you must know, if you don't know, you are not saved. Lord Jesus says in John 10, 14, I am the good shepherd, and I know my own, and they know me. Do you know the Lord? Do you know that you are in him, that he is living in you? We are indwelled by the Holy Spirit. And it is the Spirit of God which bears this witness to our spirit that we are the children of God. Therefore the word of God says in, says in Romans 8, 9, If any man has not that spirit of Christ, he is none of his. So the word of God is very clear. What a revelation was it to me that there is assurance of salvation. Now we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. But let us look now at verse 4 and 5. And I just would like to spend some time about to be chosen, to be predestinated. For there is quite some confusion in the Christian camp about this wonderful doctrine. There are some which claim that the word of God teaches that some are predestinated for eternal life, that some others are predestinated to eternal destruction and that God has chosen them and puts them on the way to hell. There is no such teaching in the Word of God. And let's see what the Word of God tells us here in verse 4 and 5 of Ephesians, the first chapter. According as he has chosen us, to who does this us refer? Let's go back to verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God to the saints which are in Ephesus and to the faithful in Christ Jesus. It refers only to those who believe, who are born again. The word of God is not talking about the unbeliever. He has chosen us to what? That we should be holy. And this should make it very clear that the believer is meant. The unbeliever has never been chosen to be holy. He can't be holy. It is an impossibility. He must come to the Lord first to get, receive salvation and a new heart. And then the Holy Spirit puts us on the way to be holy. We should be very clear about that. Then it says, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children 
by Jesus Christ himself. And here again, the believer is meant. The word of God speaks about the believer. And this predestination has not firstly to do with salvation. This is what we got already. But the adoption of children is something which is still future. Let's look into Romans 28, 28. Let's read 23 first. <clears throat> Maybe 22 and 23. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. This is the same adoption the Word of God is talking about. This is still future. When we are formed and transformed in the very image of the Son of God, the adoption of children is not here mainly salvation, but it is the placing of sonship. It is the final condition of the believer in the future when Jesus Christ comes. Predestinated us. Let me say again that the word of God does not teach here that one group is predestinated unto salvation and to heaven and the other group is predestinated unto destruction. It does not say that here. The word of God is very clear and we should never bring this wonderful doctrine of predestination to any unbeliever. He must hear the gospel. Come! and call upon the name of the Lord. And when he comes, it is like going through a door. There is written, come. And when he comes and goes through that door of salvation, then he looks back and see written on the other side of the door, predestinated. It is still future. Then let us look in Romans 8, 28 and 29. 28 is very many times disassociated from verse 29, and it should never be. It says in 28 of Romans 8, And we know that all things work together for good, to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed 
to the image of his son are we already formed into the image of his son no this is future the adoption of children is not the adoption we know in human society biblical adoption is something else and something quite different let me try to explain it to you let's say there is a couple and i know such a couple they were married for five years always going to the doctor and finally saying the doctor saying you won't have children it is an impossibility and what did they decide they went to a lawyer and you know what happened they adopted the child into their family and they were very happy and you know what happened two years later he comes home from work so one evening and she says something into his ear and his reaction is that no can't be yes it is she and you know what happened don't you they had soon a child of their own it happens many times but let me say that these two children are not the same physically in relationship to these parents the first child adopted into this family has not this physical relationship to his parents his father and mother is somewhere else in this world i don't want to hurt any feeling i just want to bring out this point i think of that family it is so wonderful you know everyone would say that this is a physical child of the parents and it's so wonderful you know going up with the parents you know you just grow into uh, the family and it's wonderful i'm not talking about this i just want to point this out that adoption that our adoption in this world is not the biblical adoption which is in the word of god for we are not adopted like this we are born into the family of god ah this is a great difference we are of his flesh and of his bone born into the family of god born again by the precious blood of our lord jesus christ we are not adopted children in the sense the world knows it we are indeed the children of god by blood relationship to the father in heaven by the lord jesus christ and this adoption biblical adoption is something else and is yet future now we have the seal of the holy spirit and now we don't know what we will be but when he will come we know let's look at the uh, first john the third chapter first john the third chapter and the first two verses 
Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knows us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Read again Romans 8 and Ephesians 1. Then you will see that this predestination unto the adoption of children, according to his will, is something which is still future and is wonderful. But never is in the Bible found this teaching that some are predestinated to hell, some are predestinated to heaven. There is not such a thing. The Old Testament doesn't know such a teaching. Let me read to you and clo in closing with uh, um, Isaiah 55, the first chapter. It says here, Ho, everyone that thirsteth, come he to the waters, and he that has no money, come, he buy and eat, and come buy wine and milk without money and without pride. Come, and anyone who comes to the Lord for salvation, do you think that the Lord would tell him and said, I'm sorry, you are not predestinated to heaven, you are predestinated to hell. There is not such a teaching in the word of God. And let's see what Revelation says. Revelation 22, the last invitation of the word of God to us. It says in 22:17, And the Spirit and the Bride say, Come, and let him that heareth say, Come, and let him that is a thirst come. And whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. Do you think anyone who hears the gospel and comes, that the Lord will tell him, I'm sorry, not for you. There is not such a teaching. And those groups, they say that they believe in the sovereignty of God. I believe in it too, with all my heart. And there's another group, they believe in the free will of man. I believe in it too, we have to believe in both. But there is not such a teaching in the word of God. That the, the invitation goes out and said, the Lord will not receive such a man. The door is wide open. Of course there is a day and there is a time where the door is shut. But this is a different story. Today we can come. Anyone here, come. Hear the word of the Lord. He is calling you. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this time of fellowship in thy word. Father, we thank thee for this wonderful doctrine of salvation. 
that this salvation is provided in the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, and because it is provided, and because Jesus did it, we know that we have eternal life. Father, if we would trust in our works, we certainly wouldn't make it. But in thy love, thou hast revealed thy Son, and we thank thee that we have in him the redemption through his blood. O oh, Father, seal thy word to our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name.